Hey there, fellow entrepreneurs. If you're tired of complicated domain management, I've got the solution for you, Hover.com. Hover makes registering and managing domains a breeze. Their clean interface and hassle-free experience will save you time and frustration. No upsells, no hidden fees, just straightforward domain services. Plus, Hover offers top-notch customer support. Make your life easier. Head over to foxcitiesmm.com hover and simplify your jo- domain journey today. You're listening to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem, your bi-weekly dose of true crime history in a small rural community of Wisconsin. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. I'm Eric. I'm Gavin. Gavin, we're back again. Yes. Guess Where are we back. headed to this time around? <laughs> okay, so let me say something about this episode. Before we start. You're not going to do another segment on David Spambauer, are you? No, 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 okay. no. No, no. But um, I, I want to apologize to the listeners for this episode. This is not a, I don't have to give you a warning or anything. I apologize because I went on a map a while back and I drew the boundaries of Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. I said, okay. <laughs> This is it. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna go west out to about Stevens Point. We'll go east to Lake Michigan. We'll go south down to Fond du Lac, and we'll go north. And we'll go way north, but we'll go north up to like Marquette, Ocano, even the Menominee Reservation. We'll go that far north. Okay. So like, I'm being very generous with my northeast Wisconsin. That being said, this is way outside the boundaries of that. <laughs> like, this is... But today, we're going to Michigan or something. We are going to Michigan. <laughs> really? We are going to Michigan. In fact, this, this episode should not be on this podcast at all. Um, and when we get to a certain point, I'll explain why we're doing it. Okay. Um, there was a reason. It just doesn't make sense now. When but, when you start, it makes absolutely yeah. No when sense. I when I was when I was putting it together, I was like, oh, this is gonna I can tie this in. And then after I got going, I'm like, no, nah, I really can't. <laughs> but I'm like, well, I wrote it, so I guess now we're gonna do, do it. it. <laughs> All right. So this is the story of Father James Leonard or Lenhart. I, I don't know how he preferred to say it, but I'm probably just gonna say Leonard. Father James was born December twenty eighth, eighteen seventy one, in Camburg, Germany. We're jumping back a little bit here. A little bit, yeah. It is alleged that he was born a Lutheran, but he converted to Catholicism as a young man. He received a classical education in Germany. From there, he went to Rome and studied for the priesthood, and he got his Ph.D. at the age of 19. Smart guy. He furthered his studies by undertaking three years of theology, which he completed at the age of 22. Threatened with illness, he moved to the border of Austria and Italy, but then later traveled to Belgium, where he met Cardinal Mercier, who was the prefect of the Catholic Catholic University of Leuven. Father James was persuaded to come to the United States to continue his studies. He was he was not your normal priest. This was a very more monk-like almost. Like he just wanted Monkey. to keep going, to keep studying. Mm-hmm. He immigrated around 1894, perhaps a year or two earlier. Um, He was officially ordained in Marquette by Bishop John Verdon. Over the course of his 20 years as bishop, Bishop Verdon oversaw an increase in the diocese's 
Catholic population from 20,000 to 60,000 members, and the number of churches from 27 to 56, and the number of priests from 20 to 62, which is to say, uh, this is the Upper Michigan. Mm -hmm. So during the time that John Verdon was bishop in Upper Michigan, I mean, the number of people who are involved in the Catholic Church is tripling. I mean, more members, more churches, more priests, like, it's expanding on a fast rate. So... Uh, is that just because religion was getting bigger, or was that just because the UP was growing? The so UP like, was growing. It was okay. it was very much a an influx of immigrants and business opportunities. It was like the logging times where everything just started to go nuts up there. Exactly. But this is to say that Father James is coming in at the right time because he he can start his own church. He can and and it's going to grow. Like he's coming in at the right time to to start with a few people and grow to his own thing. He does, in fact, start his own church, the Church of St. Agnes, uh, which was in... I want to make sure I get the city name right. Now I don't have it in front of me. Iron River. Sorry. Iron, Iron River. River. Okay. As I knew it was iron in them, there's so many irons up there. I want to make sure I got it right. Iron River. And for anybody who's not Catholic, like a diocese is like a, a region that's overseen by a bishop. So, like, northeast Wisconsin, the diocese is, is Green Bay. Okay. So, I uh, Marquette oversees a lot of the UP. So, if people aren't familiar with that term, that's all that means. And, it's and it's just, overlooked by a bishop? Yeah. So, there's actually a bishop in Green Bay. Yep. Say, I you were a no, terrible Catholic. Yeah, I have no idea of that. <laughs> that's that's amazing. Yes, there is. <laughs> there is a bishop in Green Bay. <laughs> Alfred Verville, who was Father James's driver... Later told the story, Father James was collecting funds for the church from the loggers in Michigamy who were washing logs down the river. It was so dry that year that the rivers were drying up. So a Swedish man told Father James that he would give him $100 if he would pray for rain so that they could go back to work. <laughs> As it happened, it began raining that very night and for several days, so a lot of the land got flooded. The Swedish man then came back and told Father James that he would give him another $100 <laughs> if he would pray to make the rain stop. <laughs> I have no it? idea if that story is true. <laughs> did he do it? Do you know? Did, did, does the story tell if he did it or not? I don't know. Well, the rain stopped. So. <laughs> like, I, don't know if, I don't know if that's a, if that's a true story, if that's just something that they would say, but that really is something his driver, the story that his driver told. <laughs> All right, so St. Agnes uh, opens in 1897 with uh, Father James in charge. He puts the first documents in the cornerstone of the church, um, including writing an essay predicting the economic future of the area, saying it's going to be wildly successful thanks to the timber and iron ore, which uh, for a while was very true. true. Yes. St. Agnes was actually the only Catholic church on the west side of Iron County until 1910. Uh, so Father James had a large area to serve. He had a wide acquaintance among the mining community and was interested in the progress of the iron industry that provided a livelihood for so many of his parishioners. On Christmas Day 1924, so we're jumping way ahead now, uh, Father James suffered a heart attack on Christmas morning and was confined to his bed for a while. By December 30th, he was still in bed, but was improving. Although no time was given when he would be about again, 
The attending nurse reported that it would be at least a week. Everybody came and visited him, and when he returned, he was uh, received with a lot of joy. This man was very influential in his community, not just among Catholics, but in general, because he was so... He was a very strong believer in Christianity, not just like as a religion, but as an actual movement. Okay. And if somebody was having trouble feeding their family, he made sure that they'd get food and, you know, do the kind of things that a good Christian should do. Mm -hmm. So he didn't just show up on Sundays. Like he was going around town making sure everybody Everybody. was doing well. Widely respected among everybody. Uh, This got him to the point where in 1926 he was named the dean of the district. I don't know exactly what that means. It's not quite bishop, but apparently it's a step up. Um, so he was kind of like the top guy in Iron County, Dickinson County, and Gogebic County. So not quite a bishop, but still like res- respected across the region. In September 1929, he went on a two-month trip to Europe. He said, I sailed from Southampton on the SS Saragaria, which beat its own former record in crossing to New York by two minutes. <laughs> He was very excited about this (laughs) super fast pace. The ship crossed the Atlantic in five days, 17 hours, and 13 minutes. This is why we don't go by boat anymore. (laughs) I'd say that that's pretty fast, man. It is pretty fast, but if you're like, if you want to go on a trip to London and it's going to be five and a half days just to cross the ocean, that's not very efficient you're right it's not very efficient but i actually think that i would have expected it to take uh a lot longer in fact i will say that i get stuff imported from the uk and knowing that it only takes you five days on a ship it makes me really upset that i have to wait 30 days for it to show up oh man so. <laughs> uh, in 1930 his niece um coincidentally named agnes because he was the priest at saint agnes church uh, or maybe not coincidentally, for all I know. The church came first before she was born, but maybe she was named after the church. I don't know. Either way, his niece lived with him for a while, kind of worked as like his housekeeper and things like that. Um, but she would leave soon, going to Chicago to get married. And her leaving would actually spark why we have an episode this time. Oh, I, I was waiting for, like, I'm not seeing a whole lot of murder and mayhem in this episode no but i really want to build this guy up as a person here you know and so she leaves to go to chicago he needs himself a new housekeeper um or at least you want to know i don't know if he needs a new housekeeper but (laughs) but it's it's fairly normal for a priest to have a housekeeper Mm -hmm. so he does he gets a new housekeeper uh her name is mrs labelle she seems to be working out all right Here's why there is an episode, not why it's a murder or mayhem episode, but why there was an episode in the first place, okay? Okay. In January 1930, Father James spoke to the Kakana Rotary Club. (laughs) Of course he did. (laughs) He told stories to them about the rich supply of iron ore in the Upper Peninsula um, and told people they could invest. He became very good friends with William T. Sullivan um, of Kakana, and because of this friendship, he would actually speak in Kakana multiple times 
to the Rotary Club and the Knights of Columbus and other groups. What is who is William T. Sullivan? Just a guy. Just a guy. Just a guy. Just a successful business owner or something in yeah. Pecona. Yeah. Okay. So this is this is how this is how it came to me because um Father James made it in the news a few times and the the big incident that's going to happen made the local papers here. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, okay, so there's like a connection here. There really is not. <laughs> there's really not. It's just that he knew some people here. So there's really no Fox City's connection. So at first I thought there might be. And then I was like, well, his last name is, is Leonard, which is L-E-N-H-A-R-T. We went to high school with, with a guy with that last name. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, you know, maybe he's got, you know, brothers or nephews or something like in the Fox Cities area, and there's a tie-in there. Kind of assumed there would be. Um, there's not. There's, Nothing. <laughs> there's not. It's, as far as I can tell, it's not the same family. So this whole episode is a sham. But, but you know what? The UP doesn't get enough love. I'm sure this story will never get told unless we do it. So so it's a good thing that you're doing this. Yeah. So July 17th, 1933. Mrs. LaBelle has been housekeeper for a while a couple of years when her husband a former boxer was arrested after punching father james at the county fairgrounds before a baseball game his name and i'm gonna butcher this like if if you think i butcher italian <laughs> names, names wait until you hear that <laughs> yeah french canadian names his name is something like mcglory but i've also seen it closer to mallory <laughs> So it's somewhere in there. It's M-A-G-L-O-I-R-E. Okay. Or Maglor. Yeah. I, it could, it, I, we're, we'll just go with what you want to go with because, yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah. So I'm just going to call him LaBelle. Okay. Because I think LaBelle I can get away with. Well, anyway. So LaBelle had once been a star in the early 1920s, so over 10 years ago. Um, throughout the Midwest, he was actually based in Manitowoc for a while. So there, see, there's a stretch of a connection. <laughs> um, but his life had gone downhill since his boxing had dried up. After his wife took up work with uh, Father James, she filed for divorce. Um, and this made LaBelle a little upset. Father James was brought to the general hospital with a broken jaw, and he was in a state of shock. Witnesses said one punch was all LaBelle needed to knock the priest unconscious. Wow. LaBelle left the scene but was soon found by the sheriff um, at a farm on the edge of town. He was held in jail on $5,000 bond, and Father James was still in the hospital a week later as his jaw, even though punched just once, had actually been broken in three places. Wow. He also had an underlying heart condition, so they were kind of concerned about that. Joe Brown, uh, which is apparently his real name, Joe Brown was the foreman at the Bates Mine, and he came forward as a witness to tell of LaBelle's brutality. The case was to go to trial in early August, which is about a month after the, the beating, but it was delayed because of Father James's slow recovery. This also actually delayed the LaBelle divorce because Father James was supposed to testify as a witness, <laughs> but he couldn't testify because his face was all swollen up. Wow. 
LaBelle would end up serving three months in jail before the case was dismissed by a prosecutor. The divorce did go through uh, in November of that year. LaBelle had claimed that Father James, quote, had done an alleged injustice to his family, unquote, but Father James denied it. The newspaper did not elaborate on this. This, this I would love to know, mm-hmm. that the priest did an alleged injustice Justice. to his family. Now, this is so vague that I don't know if this is like just she takes up work and she's talking to the priest and she's like, yeah, my, my husband's kind of violent. He maybe has a drinking problem or something. And he's like, oh, you should seek help about that. Could be that. Mm-hmm. It's never said, like, this is not implied at all. But I read it to the point where it's like, is he suggesting the priest was making moves on his wife? Yeah, it could. You're right. It could be such a vast (laughs) range of what it is. Like, never is that actually said. But I'm like, what is the injustice that he did to his family? You almost have to think that it's probably pretty insignificant because... Unless I missed it, it seems like this priest has a pretty good track record of not doing anything questionable, very, shady. Very highly respected guy. So, so I, he's probably just doing the thing you probably should do, but it really upset this guy. Yeah. You know? I mean, I'm not going to say that the other version isn't possible. I mean, he's a dude, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, even a priest... You know, well, I don't know if I want to go down that <laughs> yeah, route. Yeah, yeah, let's but, not do go down but, there. <laughs> but, you know, like, temptation's there. But but I have nothing to back that up. So mm. I don't know that what it is that he's actually claiming this priest did that broke up his home. So I leave that to your imagination, I guess. Following the beating, um, Father James actually retired um, he continued to help his community out, um, and he continued to live in, like, the priest's house because, you know, you don't go to a nursing home when you retire as a priest. The church still oh, supports you and stuff, so he was still around. In November 1934, so this is now about a year uh, after the trial for the first beating, LaBelle showed up in the yard of the rectory and brutally beat the priest the second time. This time to death. Wow. He punched him, kicked him, kneed him while he was lying on the ground, lifeless. Um, but sheer coincidence, the police were nearby and were able to pull LaBelle off the body. The boxer allegedly said to them while they were pulling him off, Don't get excited over a little thing like this. You got here just in time because I had more dirty work to do tonight. Um, the police interpreted this. This is not what he said, but the police interpreted this to mean that he was, was next going to beat his ex-wife. Wow. Police brought him to jail in Dickinson County rather than Iron County where they were, fearing that if he was in the jail in Iron County, a mob would show up, incite violence, and break him out of the jail and kill him. Uh, They also were afraid because the local jail was too rickety, which, again, highly respected priest. 
So it's not just that he killed a guy, he killed a highly respected priest. So Mm -hmm. understandable that they might think people would want to kick his butt. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well put, Gavin. (laughs) Yeah. So they they brought him to a different jail so people would not actually know where he was. Uh, Handcuffed to a state trooper, he was brought um, into the prosecutor's office the next morning, and the priest was being prepared for funeral at the same time. The alleged killer's first words were, what is this, secret stuff? Is this a hearing or something? Why am I, why am I here in Iron Mountain instead of in Iron River? What, what's going on here? Um, they explained to him why they were doing it the way they were doing it, and he said, I, I didn't kill anybody. I killed nobody. This is all crooked stuff. <laughs> Wait, what? Who's, who's dead now? Father James? What? I mean, I'm, I slapped him once or twice, but... What? Murder? How do you know he's dead? Where's the proof? He's still alive. He's just hiding somewhere. What is your plea? Asked the judge. I don't plea nothing, LaBelle answered. I want a public examination. Trying to charge me with murder? You helped to break a man's home up and then send him to jail? This is no hearing. It is a farce. The prosecutor called the first witness, the traffic officer, to the stand After he was sworn in, the officer repeated the testimony he gave at the coroner's inquest and told how he arrived at the churchyard in time to see people actually pulling LaBelle off of the body. Other people were were questioning a similar story like, we have plenty of witnesses. Like, you were on him when we arrived. (laughs) The judge asked LaBelle, do you have any questions for the officers? No. I don't know what he's even talking Mm -hmm. about. LaBelle was bound over to a regular trial uh, on the ch- on the charge of murder, and he was ordered to be held without bail. As the officers snapped on the handcuffs and started down the hallway of the courthouse, LaBelle began singing the song, It Ain't Gonna Rain No More, and encouraged other people to sing with him. Let's all sing, he said, and pounded his foot on the floor. Were you singing when you hit the priest? A reporter asked. You're too curious, said LaBelle. <laughs> How long had you planned the murder? The reporter asked. Planned what, said the boxer. I don't even know what you're talking about. Um, I tried to find this It Ain't Gonna Rain No More song. <laughs> and this is apparently a song that was actually played in a lot of early cartoons. And it was played like on a ukulele. So this is like a weird little jingle of a song. Mm-hmm. Did you, were you able to listen to it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah you can find it if people want to look it up. More than 2,000 persons were at... 2,000 persons? 2,000 people? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Better try there. <laughs> More than 2,000 people witnessed Father James's funeral, uh, including Mr. and Mrs. William Sullivan of Kakana. <laughs> they were even in town for three days for the funeral. 54 priests from the Upper Peninsula and Northern Wisconsin gathered for the funeral. Uh, included among them was Father E.J. Schmidt of Appleton. No relation. <laughs> <laughs> See that? I could throw Kakana, Appleton, and Manitowoc in here at random sense. places. This is my, might have more references to this area <laughs> than some of the other episodes we've done. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, so when I put the notes online, I, I'm pretty thorough here about all the things at the funeral. Um, I'm not going to read through them here, but all the groups that attended, all the flowers, you, nobody cares. <laughs> but, if, <laughs> but, if, but if you do care, the notes will be online. Um, but you did just say nobody cares. <laughs> somebody probably cares. Like the newspapers were super, super thorough in covering this funeral. This was like the social event of the season, you know. <laughs> um, pallbearers came from the Knights of Columbus uh, to help uh, bury him. I even have the names of the pallbearers, so that that's on on the website. Now, kind of unusual today, but to just show you how influential Father James was, the community was ordered to fly the flags at half mast. Wow. Uh, which this what strikes me about i i don't think that's unusual because he's such a notable figure Mm -hmm. but it is weird to have public buildings flying flags at half mass for a religious guy right you know um probably more so today like at this time this is the 1930s maybe people weren't so weird about that but if you think about it i'm going to disagree with you there because if they're flying the flags because he was such a big part of the community Mm -hmm. and not because you know, like, not necessarily that they would do it for every priest, but just because this priest was out there doing so much good for the community, that's why they did it. Right. That makes 100% sense to me. Yeah. You know, it wasn't about him being a priest. It was about the things he did for the community yeah. that got him. It is that. It is interesting. I'm going to go off on a tangent for a second here. I'll keep it brief. I had recently done a presentation on... Kakana High School, so if you can drink for that, Kosek Kakana, um, in the in the 1920s, because they had opened a new high school building in 1923, and at the very first graduation ceremony, the speaker was a local pastor, not a priest, but a local pastor, and his whole commencement speech was based off of one of the letters of St. Paul. Mm-hmm. See, and that's interesting to me because you would not do that today. Right. You would not have a guy from the local church come and read Bible verses to a high school graduation. Like, that's a big no-no. But, like, at that time, nobody thought that was weird. They were like, well, this is an important guy in our community. And I I think that makes sense because there was probably not quite the divide on religion the way there is today. Well, right. I don't. You know, I don't think there was any controversy in it because the big reason you don't do that is because you don't want people to feel, well, you, you know, like you're endorsing one side over another, as opposed to somebody else's religion. But then, yes. but it for people not familiar with uh, with Kakana in the 1920s, you weren't going to find a whole lot of people <laughs> who weren't Christian. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's just uh, you. Maybe you found one or two. I don't know. But I don't. I don't think as a whole you really found any other group Mm. well i shouldn't you know i shouldn't even say that because there were jewish people yeah so that's not true there were jewish people and maybe they felt left out but but generally speaking it was a very christian community right so tangent there just to say like i think it's interesting the way that um, we view religion and public life today compared to 100 years ago but that's a whole other thing um labelle goes on trial um, not going to go through the trial at all. I didn't even really take notes of it because we, we know what happened. We know what people are going to say. He ends up getting convicted and sentenced to life in prison. Mm-hmm. 
After sentencing, he's asked if he wants to say anything to the court. He does. He says, this should be good. He says, where's the body? <laughs> that old priest isn't dead. He's in Chicago laughing at you. This is the first murder I've ever heard of where there's no body. That's all I have to say about this whole thing. I'm not sure what he's getting at here. I'm confused because there is a body, right? Well, there's definitely a body. There okay, was a, that's was, what I thought. There's a, there's a, there was a funeral, but people definitely saw the body. Okay. I don't know if he's like thinking they have to put the body like in the courtroom. <laughs> I'm not sure what his argument is here. Uh, so he's he's in prison for a while. He's transferred over to the Ionia State Hospital, um, which is basically like you know, the mental health facility of its day. And he takes to throwing messages and bottles out the windows into the nearby Grand River. One day, a muskrat trapper finds one of the bottles uh, floating down the river. The note inside that he was trapped in Michigan's secret institution. And he hoped that whoever received his message would contact his brother in Canada and help get him free. Uh, the trapper did not uh, turn the note over to his brother, but said turned it over to the local sheriff. He was like, nah, he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, LaBelle ended up dying in the state hospital in Ionia, Michigan, uh, on June 7th, 1956. So he did end up serving about 20 years, 20 plus years there. Um, and would have been longer had he not died. So, so did not get out. As this story progressed, I thought when when you said the first attack, I was like, "Okay, this is weird," but I think that probably the guy was just blowing something out of proportion. Mm -hmm. And then once you said the second attack, then you started making me think, "Okay, maybe this priest did do something." Yeah. But then, by the end, now I kind of feel like, okay, this guy kind of lost his family and lost reality, and he was looking for people to blame for the problems that happened. There was something clearly, he was struggling with some sort of mental right. thing that yeah. caused him to do all this, I would assume. And that's the one last note I do have on here. I am not a medical professional. <laughs> so let me be clear about that right up front. Not a medical professional. Um I do not have the authority or knowledge to diagnose people, especially people from 100 years ago. <laughs> not something I have that skill. That being said, I read this story, you know, put it together, and I was like, what it sounds like to me is what he has is what used to be called punch drunk syndrome. And they knew what that was in the 1920s. Like this, that was a term they used at the time. Today, we call that chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE, which you may have heard of because that's something that kind of has become a big deal in the last few years with like the NFL and, and you know, helmets not being properly. Oh, okay. But it basically what it is, is like, if you get beaten in the head too many times, your brain doesn't like that. And you can start getting dementia or mood swings or okay. things like that. And and you did say this guy was a boxer. Right? right. So that would make complete sense. And that's why it was originally called punch drunk syndrome before they changed it to the fancy long mm -hmm. name. Because 
it was first identified in boxers because these were guys who weren't in the early days of boxing. You didn't have the nice padded up gloves and everything like you got beat. Neat. And so this guy probably took a lot of punches to the face. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I'm not a doctor. I cannot diagnose this. But my thought is he might have been a really big boxer in the 20s, but then already by the 30s, his brain is fastly going Gone downhill. downhill. So whatever he thinks is going on between his wife and the priest might be completely delusional. Right. And it might be completely delusional or it could be that, you know, like his wife is is telling the priest that there's something not right. He snaps mm-hmm. for no reason, blah, blah, blah. And he's telling her, you might need to get out of this situation because it might not be safe. Right. Which inevitably, that did destroy this guy's marriage. Right. But... Right. But it, I mean, the priest was doing the right thing, you know, and yeah, and, and you know, there's a lot of speculation because, like, we don't know the details of this, but that was what came to my mind here is like, it could just be that this guy had some mental health issues, like, mm-hmm. in general, he clearly had some mental health issues, but I'm wondering if they, if he had them specifically because he was a boxer, that this was brought on because his brain was bruised to all hell mm-hmm. so i don't know you know just throwing that it, out there because very, it is a thing that i know in the last you know 10 15 years has been more in the public consciousness right. because we've had people in the nfl you know go into early dementia or have violent outbursts or, because their brains got beat up or they just like like i believe junior say i'll just drop dead for you know like and they couldn't really there was no real reason he was fine and then he was dead and so yeah so it's you know they didn't have ct scans or whatever in the 1920s 1930s so who knows how freaking concussed this guy's brain was yeah and especially since i back then i mean i'm sure wait like was that back in an era when boxing was more or less just wrapping up your fists? I think so. So I mean, you think about that. If you're doing that on a regular, consistent basis, there's no way that isn't doing some bad things to your brain, right? You know, constantly getting hit like that with that without any sort of padding, man. That's pretty terrible. Yeah. So, so I wanted to throw that out. Like I said, I I don't have any proof that that's what happened, but. Just kind of want to throw that out there because it's it's an interesting to me. Maybe maybe people at home are like I don't give a crap, but it's interesting to me to be like, there's reasons these things happen, and sometimes it takes us a few decades until we start really Realize, seeing, seeing like, like, oh, there's there's a reason we should not be getting beat up all the time. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like at at that point you're like, oh, he's bruised, but he'll sleep it off for a few days and he'll go back to work, like. Yeah, that's great, but you can't see that <laughs> even though he looks fine on the outside, his brain's messed it's up. Stop, yeah, you know, and we we recognize that better now. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting to see like some of the things that at that point in time would have just been a normal thing, like oh, you're a boxer, that's going to happen. We we could have boxing and still make it so you're not yeah. nuts. <laughs> exactly. So. All right, well that that was a pretty good story, and I like I like the UP thing. Yeah, we can do more UP stories because you, you never know those you know those stories aren't going to get told anywhere else. Yeah, so. we can tell UP stories, yeah. but but we're not going to tell a lot of UP stories. 
No, because there's well, there's probably not a lot of UP stories. Oh, I don't know about that, but yeah, long winters, man. People get <laughs> people get people get goofy up there. And yeah, <laughs> and bored. So, but yeah, I got but I got a few more episodes lined up. Um, one I I started to put together. I didn't get very far, thankfully. I started to put it together before it. I realized that we had actually already done it. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> what story was that? Uh, it was a, it was a Greeno family story because. Okay, I, I think I remember this story. Yeah, I've, I've, well, I've been going through archives in Green Bay and like I found like the original court case, which we didn't have the first time around, and I was like, oh, I want to put together this story, and then I was trying to put it together. I'm like, I think we did this. <laughs> And I and I looked it up. I'm like, yeah, we did this episode, and I'm not going to redo it just because I got the court case now. But but I was like, dang it! <laughs> like that would have been probably even better if I had that at the time. But, nah. See, you know, and that that is probably inevitably going to happen on this podcast at some point in time. Where once we get far enough into it, we're going to redo a story that we just didn't even we don't even remember that we did previously. I try to check. I don't so. know. So, but I mean, it could just get to the point where it's so old that you don't even remember that you did it at all yeah. to know to check. Because I'm sure you don't check every story. <laughs> you know, I don't check every story, story but so. I normally, normally like that. The reason that one was confusing was because I already like had known that story for so long. So there's like times where I'm like, oh, I've known this story, but I don't know if we've told, told it. it. Like the next story that I want to tell on here, I I knew that we did not tell it because like it was so new to me. I was like, there's no way that, that this was done. And it, it it could be our most controversial episode. Ooh. It may be more controversial than Daniel uh David Spanbauer. So Wow. So there you go. Big cliffhanger there. So everybody come back in two weeks for that next episode. So. Yeah. So all right, do you got anything else or should we wrap this one up? No, I think that's good. We've been kind of kind of going and my mouth is dry I need, right. I need a beverage all right with that we'll wrap this episode up and we'll see you guys back in two weeks with another episode thanks everybody for tuning in thank you thanks for tuning in to fox city's murder and mayhem join us in two weeks for another exciting episode of murder and mayhem